You know, uh, most couples um, arrive at the altar on their wedding day with full intentions of honoring their marriage vows that they're about to make. I, I, I think very few people uh, get married with the intention of like lighting a bomb and blowing things up. Um, but we all know, um, whether firsthand or secondhand, that the road to marital bliss is a bumpy one, right? Um, every couple will eventually find out, some sooner and some later, that in order for this thing to last, it's going to take a whole lot more than just those good intentions uh, that we carried in on that, we- on that wedding day. It, it takes heavy doses of not only good intentions, but intentional effort. I'm going to talk a little bit about that this morning. We've been um, in the book of Proverbs over the past few weeks, and, and Proverbs is filled with all kinds of very common sense, street-level insight for how to win at the game of life, how, how to go about living right. And so, and so there's an aspect of that that, yes, pray, read your Bible, go to church, but in addition to that, put into place some of these practical life skills, discipline, hard work, advanced planning, so forth and so on. And in the fifth chapter of Proverbs, uh, Solomon, who, who wrote uh, this chapter, is writing to his son, uh, his son who is either newly married or about to get married, and he's going to give him some marriage advice. Um, he's going to lay out um, some very intentional actions to take as a husband um, in the area of fidelity in particular. Specifically, what he lays out is a game plan for avoiding infidelity. And so we're going to turn there uh, this morning and unpack that game plan just a little bit. Now, if you happen to be here this morning and you're not married, you may be already scratching your head and wondering, you know, is there anything that I'm going to hear this morning that even applies to me? Uh, I assure you, yes, it, it does and it will because Here's the thing, a lot of marriage issues, um, they really, what they are, they're basic relational issues on steroids, right? That's really what it comes down to. Marriage intensifies them, but I believe that we'll all find ways to apply uh, the principles that we're looking at this morning. Uh, so let me start out with the dictionary definition of an illusion, Uh, The dictionary definition of an illusion is something that deceives by producing a false impression of reality. In other words, what you see is different from what you actually get. And there may be no greater illusion uh, than the illusion of infidelity. And Proverbs 5 is written to expose that that illusion and counter it with intentional action. And so if you want to open up your Bibles to uh, Proverbs chapter 5, we're going to look at the first intentional action, uh, which is to assess the threat, to to come to terms with how attractive an affair can actually look. And so it says this um, in in verse 1, it says, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge for the 
lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path to life, her ways wander, and she does not know it. All right, so Solomon here is pleading with his son to have his defenses up, to be on guard against this issue of adultery as if his life depends on it. Because that's exactly what's at stake, is the point he's making. So he articulates, starts out by articulating just how attractive the allure of an affair can appear to be. So he describes it this way. If you hear it, it says, the lips of an adulteress drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil. In other words, at first glance, it's incredibly enticing. Now, I'll just say this is a father talking to a son, but it applies equally to both men and women. But on the outside, from the outside, there is something intensely desirable about it. We are attracted uh, to beauty. And, and there's no expectation that the wrapping paper of an affair would look repulsive to anyone on the outside. It's, it's sweet. It's, it's lips dripping with honey. It's words smoother than oil. It looks like something you'd want. And the point being, that's just simply something to be aware of, right? There's an idealism that that couples often carry into marriage, that that infidelity is an impossibility for people like us. Like that happens to other people, but that could never happen to us. Our love is just way too strong. Uh, You know, it, it does. It almost seems like a sign of weakness to admit that my marriage that your marriage, that any marriage would be vulnerable. But according to Proverbs, it's just just being honest. It's just being truthful. There, There are moments when stepping outside the boundary line will look like an attractive option. Uh, Maybe it's when things on the home front aren't going so well, Maybe it's when the job is stressing you out and the schedule is jam-packed and and the kids have been at each other's throats. And for whatever reason, there's been that low level of frustration that's been building between you and your spouse for the last two weeks, right? And And then suddenly someone on the job affirms you. Or that guy from high school comments on social media about how fit you're keeping yourself, or someone appreciates the very thing your spouse has been overlooking for way too long. In moments like those, the defenses can drop real quick. The mind can start wandering to places that you never normally allow it to go. Now, my intention saying this is is not to scare us. It is to make us aware, because we can only prepare for the threats that we're aware of. That's the point. Uh, One of the most predictable responses in the aftermath of an affair is its disbelief. It's saying, I never imagined that could ever happen to us. Uh, You know, when Pearl Harbor hit, 
there was more than enough firepower to take out the Japanese assault, right? The U.S. military had battleships and aircraft carriers and stockpiles of weapons right there on hand. The problem was that no one was paying attention. No one imagined devastation like that could ever happen at a place like this. And so maybe it's time to start imagining that, to come to terms with our vulnerabilities because they are there. Not in a way that would cause us to panic, but instead to prepare. Or as Proverbs puts it, apply wisdom. Apply wisdom to this particular temptation the problem with what this passage says is the issue of ignorance. It's a, it's a failure to see past the outside, past the appearances, and think the matter through. So, so Solomon tells, tells his son, he says, she does not ponder the path that she's on. Her ways wander, and she doesn't know it. In other words, engage your thinking processes. Wisdom is willing to step back and unmask uh, what I would call the lie of the over-magnified moment. And uh, I, I believe this over-magnified moment is one of the defining deceptions of our age. And I don't know, maybe it's of every age, I'm not sure, but it's this idea of packing too much meaning into a singular, emotionally charged moment. The claim that this moment is what it's all about, that this moment is the only thing that matters. And so you need to shut down your brain, stop caring about whether something's right or wrong, if it's good or bad, just give in to that impulse of these primal feelings that you're feeling right now. Uh, don't let this moment pass you by because tomorrow is going to be too late. Now, I got to tell you, I think I've just summarized the, the song lyrics to almost every top 40 song from the 1980 decade. Um, and, and I've noticed that that same message continues to get the same airplay, a lot of airplay today. Newsflash. It's not true. Newsflash. Tomorrow is not too late. This is the amazing thing that happens every day of our lives. We wake up and the next morning arrives, right? The world is still here. I'm still breathing. The sun still rises. The principle is simply this. Love doesn't push. Lust is what pushes. Love is patient. And wisdom recognizes that there are moments that feel so right that in reality are completely wrong. It just comes with the territory. It's part of life. It, it discerns which moments are there to seize and which moments are there to just wave goodbye to and let them pass. And the message here, loud and clear, is simply this. Those moments when walking through that door of infidelity, when it looks like an attractive option, don't do it. Turn around and run away for your life. Because that moment is not what it appears. That doorway, if you walk through it, you will find out it is the doorway of death. Infidelity is a one-way ticket to more misery, more pain, 
more regret than you ever thought possible. Solomon says, those lips that look like they're dripping with honey, they're bitter. They're rotted out and they're worm infested. And those seductive words that sound as smooth as oil, if you listen to them, you're going to find out they're as sharp as a knife when you find out that your life has been sliced up into little pieces. It says, her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. Sheol is the Hebrew word for hell. And here's the thing. When you step out that fence, outside of that fence of fidelity, you set your life on a highway to hell. And I am not talking about that from a theological point of view, right? I'm not talking about eternity. This is a description of reality, of what life looks like. There may be no faster way to turn your life into a living hell than by having an affair. One fleeting moment of pleasure followed by long-term regret. You see, here's the thing. Sin always takes us farther than we want to go, and it always costs you more than you're prepared to pay. And without getting into the details, uh, over 25 years of being in ministry, I have had a front row seat to watch that reality, the reality of Proverbs chapter 5 play out way too many times. And I will tell you that living hell is not an exaggeration. It's horrible. I think anyone who has walked through it personally and come out the other side would describe it the same way. Amongst the most painful periods of their entire lives. See, it's, it's not as it appears. There is no life on that side. It's littered with death and destruction and misery and regret. And just in case there's anyone here who happens to be wondering... No, you're not the exception. So heed that warning and steer clear. You're better off finding this out secondhand than finding out through firsthand experience. So that first intentional action is to assess the threat. The second one is to stake out secure boundaries. Uh, Here's what it says. It says, and now, my sons, listen to me. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teacher's or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. The instruction Solomon gives his sons is to set the perimeter wide. He, he, tells, he tells his son not to just stay away from the adulteress. Do you notice he says, steer clear of the path that leads to her door. In other words, Don't set your foot on the road that leads to her house. Don't even put yourself in the same zip code as temptation. He says, it's just just not worth it. There's just too much at stake. 
You know, there's two very different guiding principles uh, by which we can live out our lives. Uh, one sounds something like this. You can look, but you better not touch. The other one says this, play with fire and you're bound to be burned. We choose which one we're going to live by. One mindset chooses to camp out as close to the boundary line of what's in bounds and what's out of bounds as possible. And the question they ask is, what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. The other mindset recognizes basically that what is precious is worth protecting. What's precious is worth protecting. They ask the question, what's, what's right about this? And here's the thing, every path is leading us towards some kind of destination. The question is not just what am I doing, the question is what direction am I heading? We can tell how much something matters. It's reflected by how out of the way we're willing to go to safeguard it. And so as an illustration, I want to I uh, call you to think about the, the mall parking lot during the Christmas season. I think I used this illustration not that long ago, so you're going to hear it again. The most wonderful time of the year when people are getting in literal fistfights over parking spaces, right? But there's always that one guy you know who this guy is. You don't know his name, but you know who he is, right? He, he drives to the mall in that shiny hot rod sports car on December 3rd, right? And he is guaranteed to do two things. First, he does this. He parks his car on purpose as far away from the mall entrance as possible, he still wants it to be in view so people see it, but it's farther away. He's willing to walk that extra distance to get to the mall. Why? Because he knows that his car is safer out there. There's, le there's less traffic out there. The second thing he does is he double parks his car, right? While, while other people are fighting over parking spaces, he backs his car in diagonally and he takes up two spots, and no one has to twist his arm to do it. He does it because he values the investment he's made into this automobile. It just makes sense. And what this passage is calling us to do, married couples to do, is to simply double park your marriage. Double park it. Go out of your way to set up some safe boundaries. Make that perimeter wide because your marriage matters that much. Now be prepared. People may call you prude. They may say you're old-fashioned. So be it. Let your concern be about protecting that precious investment called your marriage. So I'll tell you, Diane and I have made some very intentional choices throughout our marriage to stake out some, some boundaries. Um, I want to share a few with them with you, just a few of the safeguards we've put in place. And I'll tell you, I am not suggesting that you adopt ours. Um, I hope maybe this spurs on some thinking for yourself. So one of them is this. We don't have our own individual friends of the opposite sex. 
We, we just choose not to. We have friends that we're both friends with, um, and we try to keep those together. Uh, second one is this. We make it a rule uh, not to watch shows on the television that have nudity in them. And honestly, um, that means we miss out on most of the shows that people are talking about because it's everywhere. And you know what? We just choose to live with that. That's okay. Um, I have a policy um, of not meeting with a woman in the office alone without someone else there. Uh, It's just common sense. Makes sense. A while back, uh, Diane was going up to Boston for a meeting for work uh, with a coworker, and they could have carpooled together. It would have made sense to carpool together, but she chose to drive up alone for no other reason than to simply scope out a wide perimeter. So those are some of the ways that we've chosen to double park our marriage, and I will tell you that it's good. It's an investment. It breeds trust and it safeguards what matters most. And so maybe today is a good day for you to evaluate the lines that you've set up. There there is a price to be paid for setting up safeguards. It will inconvenience your life, no doubt about it. But here's the thing. The price is worth paying It's a better choice than the alternative. And as we just read, Solomon lays out the alternative of of not not having a teachable heart, not listening to advice, of thinking, okay, I've got this on my own. I don't need to listen to what you're saying. And then blowing things up. Uh, I've walked with too many people who have blown things up to know that that is not a place you want to find yourself. So assess the threat, stake out secure boundaries, and the final intentional action is sanctify your passions. So listen to these words that I'm going to attempt to read without blushing, and let me ensure you I have not altered anything here. This comes straight out of Holy Scripture. Are you ready? Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. So here's what this is saying. The the alternative to destructive desires, it's not to turn our desires off, right? That's not the alternative. The alternative is to redirect them to the right place. And you know, so many times the message that we hear in Hollywood and mainstream media portrays, it, it says something like this, having an affair, it may not be right, but it sure is fun, 
It's, it's adventurous. It's infinitely more fulfilling than what happens within the confines of the marriage bed, which of course gets always portrayed as predictable and mundane and, and boring. The question though is, is that true? Is that an illusion or is that reality? There's a British magazine called Top Sante, and they commissioned a national sex and relationship survey. And here's what they found. After 14 years of marriage, 63% of women still fancy their husband just as much as when they first met him. Second is almost two-thirds of all married women said that the best sex they've ever had is within marriage. They write this in the summary. This survey turns on its head the idea that the best sex happens when you're footloose, fancy-free, and single. The truth is, truly great sex and deep intimacy are most likely to happen within the trusting, committed environment of marriage. That goes along with, a, with another um, report uh, from Rutgers University, the National Marriage Project. Their research says that people who are married are more likely to have emotionally and physically satisfying sex lives than single people or those who just live together. The report says this, this higher level of commitment in marriage is probably the reason for the high level of reported sexual satisfaction. Marital commitment contributes to a greater sense of trust and security, less drug and alcohol-infused sex, and more mutual communication between couples. Isn't it amazing when the statistics bear out what the word of God has been saying for centuries, right? Please listen to God's word loud and clear. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. A committed marriage relationship provides the best setting possible for maximum mutual satisfaction. See, here's the thing. Sex was God's idea. He came up with it. He knows how it works, and he made marriage so that there can be safety, so there can be security, so there could be confidence, so there could be communication, so there wouldn't be a fear of rejection. It's a sanctified celebration of love. That's not just physical, it's emotional, and it's spiritual. Some of you guys aren't used to hearing this kind of talk from church. I get it. I understand. Um, But we're going to keep on going. We're almost done. Um, Outside of marriage, sex is distorted, but within the confines of a godly marriage, it's it's beautiful and it's holy. And, And by the way, just in case you didn't pick it up, God designed it to be pleasurable, to be fun, right? That's what it says. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. And I love that the ESV version, it it doesn't say captivated. It's a better translation. It's intoxicated. God's word says, get drunk on your spouse's love. Throw away restraint, become enraptured in the physical embrace of your spouse. There's nothing dull about that. And if we were to put that into the form of a command, it might sound like this. Thou shalt not settle for a boring sex life, right? And and so Solomon asks his sons, why? Why would you settle for anything less? 
says, why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why settle for just something physical that's disconnected from the emotional and the spiritual? Maybe he'd be asking the question more like this today. Why, why my son, be captivated by internet pornography? Or why be captivated by romance novels and fantasies? Wisdom, wisdom gets applied, and it's highly practical. It gets applied in the marriage setting through advanced intentionality, assessing the threat, setting up secure boundaries, and, and sanctifying our passions. So let me just close this morning with a, with a word of hope, um, specifically for those who may have faltered in this pursuit of fidelity. And you're aware of the pain and the hurt. And I expect if you were to write down what you've learned from that experience, it would probably sound a lot like what what Solomon wrote down in this chapter as well. And what I want to say is that um, it's not the end of your story. Uh, Because of the grace of God, because of the gospel, we are not ultimately the byproduct of our own record of how good we are, of how faithful we are. Because of Jesus, we are the outcome and the byproduct of him and his faithfulness and his goodness. And so, yes, will, will there be scars left over? Of course. But isn't it beautiful that a scar is an indication that something has healed, right? And that healing starts with, with fixing our lives on the faithful one whose name is Jesus, faithful and true, even to faithless people. And truth be told, we can point to different categories in our lives and understand that faithless describes all of our lives to some degree or another in different categories. And so ultimately, our hope is not on how faithful we are, it's on how faithful he is And that faithfulness that he pours into our lives and shows us each and every day as we open up our lives to it, that's where healing starts. That's what transforms and reshapes and brings hope and healings to our lives and gives us the capacity to love and to care and to extend faithfulness to those around us. Let's pray.